Um, we've been working on designing, adding diesel to his gas station. And I was like, yeah, we're waiting on the engineer to get some stuff done. And he's like, oh, you don't need the engineer to do that. Just go ahead and start putting some prices together. I was like, okay, great. I'll do that. Um, so Tuesday morning, I get to the office, was there for about an hour and a half, getting some other things handled. Um, and then had to go meet with funeral homes and, and the cemetery and was like fighting with them to get details worked out. It took an act of Congress to get people to do what they're supposed to do. That's another story for another day. And I'm leaving the funeral home, which was incredibly stressful. And, and my boss called and said, hey, do you have that number together yet? And I'm like, no, I, I haven't even had a chance to work on it today. And he knows that I was at the funeral home and all, all, that's, all that's above board. And he says, well, Richie, the customer just called me and he has a meeting with the bank at 1230. What? Okay. And so it's 1110. And so I beeline it back to my office. And within about 30 minutes, I put together a bid package that's worth about I don't know, a little over a million dollars, okay? Yeah, stressful, okay? And that was, it was just a, a budget number. It wasn't like it had to be exact, but still there's, it takes a lot of parts and pieces to hit a million dollars in case anybody was wondering. A lot of stuff. So this week was just, it was crazy, but in the midst of all of that chaos, God gave me so many opportunities this week to share the gospel. And I was blown away by it. I was thinking about it this morning, you know, as as crazy as this week was, I don't know that I've ever felt as close to Jesus as I did this week. And I think that's intentional. I think God did that for me on purpose. But literally, as soon as I got home from church Sunday afternoon, my, ch- my schedule, how I thought my week was going to play, immediately began God changing all that. And it was ironic because I talked about at the end of last week's message about, about how we need to allow God to change our circumstances and change our schedules in order to meet the ministry needs that he has. And God was like, all right, I hope you were paying attention to yourself because here we go. And so that would just kind of set the week up for what was going to be um, pretty crazy. But it was really cool to see God working and to see that, that even when the enemy tried to get in the middle of that, that God just kind of pushed him out of the way. I was like, no, 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 I got this. We've got, a, we've got a plan in place. So even in the midst of all of that, me messing up in the middle of it and sinning and all that God still accomplished and wanted it to do. And it was really neat to see that. It was, it was neat to see that in the middle of that stress, in the middle of me making mistakes, that that also didn't derail God's work. That God just continued to work through me and, and to, ta- to handle the things that he had for me last week. Um, last week we studied uh, part of Hebrews chapter 12 and we saw part of a warning that the author wants to kind of keep our focus on what really, really matters. And I think that was important for me for last week as I went through all that stress to be able to, to kind of laser focus in on what was most important and what really needed to be done. Last week, we, the first thing we talked about was that we heard the challenge that we must make a decided effort to pursue peace and holiness, that our obedience to God's call in our lives and letting him work through us is the avenue in which other people are going to get a glimpse of God. And I saw that play out in several different ways with several different people through this week. And that our pursuit of God on a daily basis prepares us for the work that God has for each of us each day. And it's also kind of funny. We're also in the middle of all that, we're bottle feeding a puppy. Um, We have transitioned from every two hours to every three hours around the clock. But what that did is I get the six o'clock a.m. shift, which is earlier than I normally get up. And so this week I've had extended time with Jesus. And huh, funny how it works out that I felt closer to him <laughs> this week than I have before. But when we do that, when we spend that time with God, it makes us sensitive to his prompting and it prepares our hearts for the day that, that is ahead of us and the struggles and the challenges are going to come with that. The second thing we talked about is that we're challenged to let God reveal the sin that exists 
in our lives and let him deal with it. And boy, did I experience that this week as well. That as I was trying my best to accomplish all the things that God had in front of me, I still made mistakes. I don't know if that's the case with you guys. Do y'all still make mistakes? Is that on your radar for most of the time? Okay. That was certainly for me. Last week we looked at the story of Esau and we see this decision to give up his birthright for a single meal and how that altered not just his life, but really all of our own history as it affected the life of what would become the people of Israel. The author compared that, that with our tendency to trade the treasure of knowing God personally for momentary happiness. And our pursuit of what we believe will bring us joy ultimately separates us from the plans that God has for us because we're following our own path instead of pursuing His. And in, instead of experiencing the goodness that God has for us, we're left dealing with the consequences of our own sin. Our daily time sets us up to be able to successfully walk with God uh, throughout the day because our hearts and our minds are primed. They're focused in on His activity instead of just our own. I'll be honest, um, this week was really hard. I know I've, I've said that a lot, but I, I want to, to communicate that I'm not, today as we approach this message, I'm not coming to a place, coming to it from a place of, man, last week was great, we're going to be on the mountaintop again. I'm coming to this today from a place of, of exhaustion, a place of just rawness, if that makes sense. At the end of this week on Friday, I got to have lunch with a, or a coffee with a friend um, who I had felt like the Lord prompted me to spend some time with several months ago and been pursuing that effort. And so we got together to have coffee. And what's really, really neat is I had not even had time yet to prepare for this sermon. I hadn't even looked at the scripture for this week. This was Friday at one o'clock. And as I sat down with this friend, um, the Lord just started developing the conversation. And we had this long drawn out conversation about the difference between living under the law and living under Jesus, which you talked about just a minute ago. I don't know if y'all picking up on that, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Today in our passage, we're going to see the author of Hebrews compare Israel's experience at the foot of Mount Sinai when God revealed himself to what we as believers experience at, at Mount Zion as the Lord reveals himself through the person of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And I thought it was incredible that as I'm having coffee with this guy, and, I, and then later that night I sit down to study and I read the passage and I'm like, okay, God, all right, I see what you're doing here. But through that conversation, we talked about so many things. I, I referenced the Holy Spirit a whole lot, and the guy at one point was like, all right, hold on, pause. What does that look like? How does that flesh out? You said God told you to do this. How did God tell you? And so we began to speak about abiding. I happened to have a copy of the abiding cycle in my backpack. So I hooked him up with that, and we talked through the abiding cycle. And I'm going to share some more about that conversation kind of as we go through this. But I, I wanted to kind of bring us to this place this morning. I want us to understand that there's a difference between religious activity for God and a relationship with God. Now, that's something that we have talked about a lot, and that's kind of where my conversation with my friends centered this week. And I want us to see that as we read this scripture, that that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about. It's significant for us because it allows us, if we'll see that God wants a relationship with us and not just religious activity, it helps us to understand God for who He is. And it helps us to understand how to experience His presence and the joy that comes out of that. So um, let's look at this next section and uh, look at the comparison the author is making. And we'll see how this plays out for the church in Rome and then also for us. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. He says, For you have not come to what, you, what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet, to the sounds of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word would be spoken to them, 
for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. So in this passage, the author is drawing a direct comparison between two places and two different responses for what God was doing. In the first, we see the author recalling a story that would have been instantly recognized by Israel, of, of, uh, by the people of Israel seeing God at Mount Sinai. So point number one is experiencing God on Mount Sinai was a fearful event. So the author is calling back this significant moment. And this was significant because what we're going to look at, in Ex- we're fixing to go to Exodus and, and read part of that story so our brains are in the right frame of mind. But this is the point where God is about to give Israel the Ten Commandments. He's about to give them the law, okay? And while the author doesn't say the name of the place, it's obvious that he's talking about Mount Sinai by the way he described it in those first couple of verses we just read. So look at this passage with me, and let's kind of fully remember what the author is pointing to. This is from Exodus 19, verses 7 through 13. It said, After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak and you will be with you and you will always believe you. Moses reported the words of the Lord and the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries before the people all around the mountain and say, Be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up the mountain. So I want to draw your attention this morning to God's desire For his people to see him and hear him. That's not changed about God's character. He desires for us to see him and to hear him. Okay. He says that he's coming in a dense cloud and that they will hear him speak. But before they can, that can happen, the people have to be consecrated and cleansed so that they can be near God's presence. I also want to point out that this is a significant moment in the life of Israel and of all mankind. This is the time when God, it's the first time that God is calling a large mass of people to himself and revealing himself to those people if you think back through the old testament that's happened prior to this and in the previous part of exodus and then the book of genesis most of god's interactions are with one person at a time and certain and and certainly this is the first time that he's going to not only reveal himself but also speak to a people group a nation all at one time every other time we see god giving instructions to the nation to this nation it was through moses God would speak to Moses, and Moses would then relay that message back to the people. And God revealing himself and speaking is a major step in the process of redeeming his people. Remember, we've been talking about that all through the book of Hebrews, that since Adam and Eve sinned, God has been working on our behalf to restore our relationship with him. And so this is the first time where God doesn't just speak to one or two people, but he gathers a whole group of people. He says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. You see where that plays out in the plan of redemption? 
Because God ultimately wants to bring all people back to himself, not just to, not just a few people, right? So God's doing this. So look what happens next. Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn. So to all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So here we see God doing exactly what he says he's going to do. The third day, he comes down, he descends on the mountain. It's a thick cloud, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's the loud blast from the ram's horn. I want you to imagine that moment for just a minute. And, and when you read about the, like the ram's horn, the cloud, the fire, and the lightning, like, and it says in here that the whole mountain was shaking. I don't know about you, but that would kind of freak me out. I'm, there's a lot of people who don't even like thunder, right? What if you had thunder and lightning and these really loud horns all going at the same time? For me, that's like sensory overload. And it would... For me, it would make me very afraid. I think you're probably the same way. But smoke billowing up from the mountain, the ram's horns, the whole mountain shaking. What do you think God's purpose was in revealing himself in that way? He wanted to show that he was not like any of the other gods that they had been told about. Remember, this people had just been delivered from Egypt where they had a God for everything. And God is setting himself apart and he's saying, I am not like those gods. God's revealed his glory and his might so that there could be no doubt in their minds that he was the one true living God, that he was the God. And so how did they respond to his glory? This is Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. It says, All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. I want to remind us that this is the same people that had just witnessed God do some amazing things. When they were still in Egypt in captivity, God brought all these miraculous plagues in and protected them from the plagues, but they subjected the Egyptians to them. There's their release from slavery. There's the crossing of the Red Sea. There's the drowning of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea as they're pursuing Israel. There's God's provision in the wilderness. On top of all of that, which by the way, is God showing them over and over and over again how much he loves them. God reveals more of who he is and the people reject him because they're afraid. And I find it interesting that after God has done all of that for them to show them how much he loves them and how much he cares for them, he begins to reveal himself. They're afraid and they walk away. It's during this revelation on Mount Sinai when God gives the law to the people. And what's he trying to do? Look at Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. It says, Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on an eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all people, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So God tells Moses, remind them of what I've just done. 
And tell them that the words that I'm about to say, I'm saying this because I love them, because I want them to be my people. God was about to do something special in the lives of this nation. He was creating a covenant with them and drawing them to himself just like he said he was going to do. God was going to make them his people. But rather than joining God in what it was doing, Israel rejected God and settled for a mediator. They told God, no, we don't want to hear from you. We want you to tell somebody else and then have them tell us. God's drawing them in and they're pushing God away. The author of Hebrews is reminding these, these churches that he's writing to of what it was like for their ancestors who saw God on Mount Sinai and the result of that experience in their lives. And now he contrasts that with what they've personally experienced as they met with God. Point number two is that experiencing God on Mount Zion is a joyful event. Experiencing God on Mount Zion is a joyful event. Look at his, this description of meeting with God he does in, in verses 22 and 24 of Hebrews chapter 12. We read this a minute ago. He said, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirit of the righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. You notice how different these two descriptions are between these two mountains? One is in the wilderness and the other is in a city. One there's thunder and lightning and clouds. The other there's a myriad of angels. One there's trembling and fear. And the other there's a festival, there's a party going on. In one, there's rejection of God, and at the other, there's the assembly of the firstborn, which is us, by the way. We'll get to that in a minute. When these believers began to experience God working in their lives, it was a completely different experience than what their ancestors experienced at the foot of Mount Sinai. Jesus had come and revealed to the world the true heart of God. While God's glory is awe-inspiring, it's also loving, and it's kind, and it's gentle, and they experienced that through the life of Jesus. Jesus has revealed to the world that because of what He has done, a way has been made for our relationship with God to be restored. He's made us co-heirs and our names are written in, the, in heaven as such. God's still our judge, but when He sees us, He sees the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus, not our sin. God's made a new covenant with His people through the Son of Jesus so that we can enjoy our relationship with God as he intended for us to do when he created us. You see how different, how incredibly different these two experiences are? The first covenant gave the law which enslaved the people because it had no power to, to save them, only to condemn them. The point of the law was just to reveal sin. God gave Israel the law so that they would be a different nation. That if they would obey the law, they would look and feel different. Just like we talked about today, Callie was talking about that on our video, that as we pursue God, He changes who we are, and we stand out in the world. And that was God's intention with Israel. He gave them the law so that they could be more like Him. But the law had no power to save, it only condemned. And then this new covenant comes, and it brings freedom, because Jesus has completely fulfilled the law on our behalf. And we can join in that celebration that He's talking about, of this new covenant as the sons and the daughters of a living God, because he's brought us redemption. We see at the end of verse 24 a reference to Jesus' blood, which is better than Abel's. 
And, and I was reading in one of the commentaries this week, and it said it's better than Abel's blood because Abel's blood cried out from the ground for justice when he was murdered. But Jesus' blood brought justice when he was murdered. Jesus did for, for us what we could not do. He fixed the problem of sin that all of us deal with every day, and he offers forgiveness rather than condemnation. There's a significant difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant ended up producing generations of people who were focused on the law rather than being focused on God. And because the people chose to turn away from God's voice, they missed the relationship that God was trying to establish with them. And this is the very same thing that the author of Hebrews is warning this church about. You know, as I was talking to my friend this week when we were having coffee, because of how crazy my week had been with preparing for the funeral and all that, I, I told you guys I hadn't had a chance to study any of this. But we spent about an hour talking about what it looks like to have a relationship with God. How He speaks and He desires to not only show Himself, but to actively, actively participate in our lives. And I was able to give him some examples from this week of how God was participating in all of the struggles that I was having and how God was working in and through those, not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of my friend. I got to, to share with him and contrast in my own life the differences I experienced growing up in a works-based religion versus what I experience now through an abiding relationship with Jesus. My friend said something that, and I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but it was something like this. He said, you talk about your relationship with God in a way that's different than I've ever heard other people. He said, it seems more grounded. For me, that meant a lot. But what I tried to help him understand is that the difference that I've experienced in my own life was moving from thinking that I knew what God wanted and acting accordingly to being able to hear Jesus tell me what he wants and to just do that. And the certainty that comes from that, not from guessing and hoping that I'm doing the right thing, but from waiting on the Lord, letting him speak, and then knowing with certainty I'm moving in the right direction. That's huge, and it's big. And I think that most of the people in this room can agree that we, when we look back on our lives and we think about the dead religion we used to be involved in, and now we see this active, abiding relationship that we get to have with Jesus, there's an obvious difference between the two. One is Mount Sinai where we're living under the law and we're trying to do the right things and failing. And the other one is Mount Zion where we're getting to enjoy a relationship with God and let Him inform the way we live and the decisions that we make. This is the same exact experience that these churches in Rome are having. They had left their religious activity and exchanged it for a relationship with God through Jesus and after having experienced that truth, that Jesus was the Son of God, and receiving the Holy Spirit, there's this temptation to leave all of that behind, to go from living in Mount Zion to going back to Mount Sinai to live under the fear. To turn away from God and to go back to the religious activity. In church, we face that same temptation. When life gets busy or we get lazy... We find it easy to just revert back to our previous patterns, to our previous religious activity rather than pursuing God. To just say, you know what, I'm going to just do this today or I'm not going to do anything and it'll be fine. Jesus forgive me. And he will. But we're forfeiting the goodness that God has for us in that day for the sake of whatever it is we're setting it aside for. That's what we talked about last week. Every day we have to decide that we're going to live for Jesus that day when we wake up, we make a decision. Am I going to pursue God today or am I going to pursue myself? 
Are we going to join God in what he's doing? Or are we going to ignore God and do what we want ourselves? Are we going to push God away for the sake of convenience? Upon recounting this famous event and getting uh, the church emotionally involved in the story, the author of Hebrews follows up with this final warning. This is verse 25 through 29 in Hebrews 12. It says, See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they do not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time. But now as he promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yes, once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. To me, the author makes the warning pretty clear. Is point number three. We get to make a choice whether we live in fear or we live in joy. It's going to be one of the two. We can either respond to God's activity in our lives like Israel did and push God away, or we can respond the way the followers of Christ did. If we reject Jesus, we're rejecting the forgiveness of our sins, and we're going to be held accountable to the law when we stand before God. If we accept Jesus and receive his forgiveness, he fulfills the law on our behalf, and when we're judged, his righteousness becomes our own. This is the point of the whole study of Hebrews. I want to bring your attention in. If you've, if you've let your minds wander, I want it back for just a minute. Because I want us to see this. We have seen and experienced what it means to live in an abiding relationship with Jesus. We know what it feels like, what it sounds like to hear God's voice. We've experienced God working in our lives and doing things that we thought were impossible. We have felt the peace that comes with being absolutely certain that we're doing what God wants us to do with our lives, with our day. And the vast majority of the people in our lives have not had the joy that comes from knowing God in this way. This is why God has been working in us for the last year to help us understand who He is and how to share that with other people. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but we spent a whole year learning theology. Did y'all know that? Theology is just the study of the nature of God and then how do we explain that. That's what theology is. It's understanding who God is and learning how to talk about it in a way that we can help other people to understand that. That's what we've been doing. God has used this study to help us understand our redemptive history. When I was sitting having coffee with my friend and I began recounting all the things that God's done from the time of Adam and Eve until today to redeem us, to draw us to himself, I realized as I was doing that that I'm talking through all the things that the book of Hebrews has been talking through for a year. And that's not a mistake. That's not an accident. God was drawing on all that I've learned through this study. Guys, this, this is our story. God loves us. He redeems us and he lives in us. In this last passage, the author is reminding the church that Jesus said that he would return when he did, that the whole earth would be shaken, shaken to the point that the only thing that will be left are the things that cannot be shaken. Jesus ushered in a new way of living and relating to God. He has offered all men, women, and children the opportunity to be brought back into the relationship with God that we were created to have. And you and I have been given the tools and the opportunities to share those truths 
with the people in our lives. God has prepared you to share your story so that other people can get to know Him, so that they can see that your story can also be their story. God has prepared you to share that story so that other people can know Him. And the joy that you have found is you've come to know God by experience. And that shouldn't be hidden from the people that you love. I want to end with one final thought, one final story. About a year ago, I was talking with a friend of, another friend of mine. And this friend has been a part of the Gathering Place network for a long time. They know how to abide. They understand the kind of relationship that we all have come to know and love, what it means to walk with Jesus, to hear His voice, to see His activity in our lives. This friend was in a pretty significant relationship, you know, the kind where you're starting to think about marriage and long-term future stuff and what that's going to look like. And we're talking one day, and, and we were talking about some things that God had been speaking into this person's life. And I asked, you know, have you shared this with your significant other? How did they respond? And he was like, oh, no, we, we don't really talk about God stuff. And I'll be honest, it kind of floored me. It shocked me. Because this is a significant part of this person's life. And as we're talking, and I'm trying to kind of deal with my emotions and how do I even respond to that, not because I was upset with him because he wasn't sharing his story, but because I couldn't believe that he hadn't because of the things that God's done in his life. And as I'm kind of processing that, I, I, I'm going to credit this to the Holy Spirit. But I said, um, why are you hiding the best part of who you are from this person that you think you love? I want that to settle in your spirit today too. Because if you're struggling to share your story, what you're doing is you're hiding the best part of who you are from those people that you love the most. From those friends and family that God has put in your circle, whether they're co-workers or your mom and dad or your cousins or whatever. If you're hiding this part of your life, what it means to live in an active relationship with God, you're hiding the very best part of you. You're hiding the part of your life that you value the most. I want us to think about that this week. Is Who are we sharing with the world? Is it the best part of us? Is it the part of us that knows how to abide in Jesus? Is it the part of us who knows how to hear His voice? Is it the part of us that gets to experience the joy that comes through obedience? Is that what we're sharing? Are we sharing the part of us that excludes that? Are we sharing the part of us that doesn't talk about that because it might draw attention that we may or may not want? God's activity in life, in our lives, is the most important thing that will ever happen to us while we live on this earth. The most important. When I'm at work and work is busy, or I'm rushing through track supply to buy puppy formula so a puppy doesn't buy, and God says, stop, pause for a minute, that pause is the most important pause of my day. And the most important pause of your day. God's desire is to use you to share the truth of who He is with the people in your life. That's why those people are in your life. God has shown us the joy of relationships with Him. Don't leave your family and friends wallowing in the shallowness and the fear that comes with dead religion. Don't leave them where you were. And I'm not saying that we need to go out with a banner and just stab people in the face with it and say, this is what you need to know about Jesus, right? I'm talking about as the Holy Spirit prompts, don't shy away from the conversation. 
when the Holy Spirit, Spirit gets your attention and says, just pause for a moment and let's talk through something with somebody. Give the Holy Spirit that time. Listen to His voice. Share your story. Because it's a story worth sharing. It's your redemption story. It's my redemption story. It's their redemption story. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that in such a challenging week, this week for me personally, that you were so very present. Even in the midst of me messing up big time, your spirit was there offering forgiveness and grace and love. Father, as we think about this message that you have for us today, God, as we drive home this afternoon, as we're doing whatever it is we do on this afternoon, whether that's a life group or, or just relaxing and enjoying the Sabbath, Father, I ask that you would not let this just slip away. But Father, that you would do a work in all of our hearts, that you would reveal the people in our lives that are dying to know you. Father, that you would make sharing the gospel as you lead the most important thing in our day every day. Father, we are so incredibly blessed to know you the way that we know you. Father, burden our hearts for the people that are in our lives that don't get to know you this way. Draw those people to yourself, Father. Let us play some small role in that process so that we can experience the joy that comes from sharing this message. Father, that they can experience the joy that comes from hearing this message. God, you have been such a, an incredible blessing to us this year as we've learned about our redemptive story. Father, work in our hearts and our minds and our spirits to make that story the most important story we'll ever tell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand.